Hello, welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. So the scripture that we, we read this morning from Matthew uh, really kind of gives us this perspective of the focus on our soul, right? And so we're, we're here in this last week of the Transform series. And by the way, it's kind of cool that we're sort of all doing this series together, 50 Days of Transformation. Uh, so for the last 50 days, I don't know if you all have been doing small groups, but like my wife and I, and that's my wife back there, by the way. Hi, Jenny, and my son, Dominic. Um, we, we've been involved in a small group. We've been uh, working kind of through this with other people, asking like, interesting questions of each other, having discussion together, looking at these really seven dimensions and seven facets of our lives, right? And, and really, to just sort of peel back the curtains on this Transform series is the idea behind it is you look at all of these areas in life that most people come January, they're like forming New Year's resolutions around these areas. And the idea behind this is, is what if we invite God to partner in all of these areas of life with us? Like, what could that look like? So it's not about setting goals and personal goals. It's really about inviting the Lord in and say, God, this part of my life, would you be a part of it? Would you intersect this part of my life? And let's see what happens as we go together. So this week we're wrapping up the series and we're looking at vocational health. And now vocation really has to do with our jobs and the work that we do. And and I want to kind of talk about that a little bit, but I also want to broaden the scope a little bit and look at God's perspective on what we do. So um, in, in preparing for this, I went back and I was just sort of uh, making a grocery list of all of the jobs that I've had uh, in my lifetime. So I, I could think of 23 distinct jobs I've had, and I've probably had more than that, but I have this, this eclectic portfolio of jobs that I've done over, over the years. Beginning at age 14, I got my first job at Worlds of Fun, right? So back then they would hire 14-year-olds, and I look at 14-year-olds now, and it's like, what in the world? Like, who would trust a 14-year-old? But I was the kid that would walk around like the shops and like when you tried on a t-shirt, I'd go behind you and refold it and dust all the tchotchkes and souvenirs off. Um, they didn't even trust me with, with money at the time. They wouldn't give me a cash drawer. So I would just would sort of, you know, walk around and clean stuff up. But I remember getting my first paycheck at Worlds of Fun. It was, it was like 70 bucks or 74 bucks or something like that. And I remember taking that check to Claycomo State Bank, giving it to the teller and like, give me my money, right? And she asked me, well, how do you want that money? Like, how do you want it? And I hadn't even really stopped to think about, oh, like I, I get to choose, right? how I get this back. And, and I s- sat there and thought for a minute, I'm like, give it to me in all ones, all $1 bills, because I wanted a stack, right? I wanted the wad. And uh, so I walked out of there, my first paycheck with a wad of $1 bills, probably blew it all on Taco Bell or um, the arcade or something like that. But I distinctly remember my first paycheck, and I've, I've had tons of jobs over time, from retail jobs. Uh, when Janine and I got married, I remember I, I was a waiter at Red Lobster. That's a story for another day. Just, I think the short of it is I was terrible at waiting tables. I was horrible. It was a horrible job. And 
I think God used that job to get me on a different trajectory because when, as I was waiting tables, I was like, I will do anything else, God, just like get me out of here. And I landed my first job, like, I guess, real job in my mind as uh, a, a call center rep for a local company, like financial services company. Anyone here ever done call center work? God bless you because that is tough work. Like, you know, just like burning through phone calls, people's complaints. Uh, man, I just have some memories of, uh, you know, one more call and I just might like blow a gasket. And, but, you know, it's like in that job, I learned perseverance. I learned the value of showing up on time because other people weren't willing to show up on time. Right. I, I realized the value of just doing what was asked of me. Um, and that really launched um, my career in sort of this direction of management. So I, I went on a management track. I was a supervisor, manager, I ended up being a unit manager and ended up being a, 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 a director of an entire business unit that built web products and web applications for financial advisors. Go figure. And uh, that was a fun job, right? And then in 2009, through this weird uh, just calling and twist of events, I left that corporate world and became a full-time pastor and um, was a kid's pastor of all things, right? So I spent my first three years of ministry being a children's pastor, and I didn't even really have a framework for that, but I, I knew the skills that God had given me, and I just brought those to the table and began to build uh, a ministry to kids and had a good time. I was you know, being the next-gen pastor for, for Vineyard North there, um, working with kids and youth and young adults, uh, was on the executive team there, and landed in the job I'm in now, uh, which I do full-time, but I also have a couple of side gigs. So I also do like coaching, one-on-one -on -one coaching, sort of life coaching, whatever you want to call it with people. Uh, and I'm also a, a professor of psychology and business at a couple of uh, local colleges and universities. So uh, that's like my, that's the, the breadth of my work uh, that I've done, right? And so I was making this list of the work that I've done and, and I was just sitting there thinking, I wonder which of these jobs really impresses God the most. Right. So as God looks at my life and looks at the things that I've done, which job does he look at and say, you're killing it, man. You're doing a good job. Right. Is it, is it the pastor job because that's religious and it's a full time ministry kind of gig? Is that what really pleases him? Is it was it the menial jobs that I did scrubbing floors, sweeping, you know, those humble jobs? Which jobs impresses God the most? And then I started thinking about, OK, well, we're talking about the God of the universe, right? So the God who created this expanse of the universe, the, 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 the universe that's made up of a, a billion, billion galaxies. And in each of those galaxies, there's a billion, billion solar systems, as far as we can tell. The God who made all that, who made all of heaven, all of earth, when he looks at my life, what is he really impressed with? And you, you get what I'm poking at here, right? Like... There's two different ways of looking at this work that we do. And, and, and our tendency and your tendency and my tendency is to look at what we do and, and ask this question, what's next? What will I do as if it somehow defines our value and defines our existence? But God defines success in some different ways. Then if we look at this through the lens of God's eyes, we see a God who defines success by our character, right? 
rather than our career choice. What you become is far more important than what you do. Let me say that again. What you become is far more important to God than what you do. And what you do is, is near, not nearly as important to God as why you do it and who you're becoming in the process. You see, the question that we always tend to ask ourselves as human beings is, what's next? What will I do next? When really God is asking the question, who will you be? You see, because there's this eternal side of us, this eternal character that matters to God. And even when we look at this, this scripture that Kim read, and it says, and what, you, and, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What does God care about? He cares about our hearts. He cares about our proximity to him, right? And not the process that we're taking to get there, not our performance, but our proximity to his heart and who he is. So, so I'm, I mentioned that I, I do like some coaching with people and it tends to be guys. Um, and as I meet with guys, Typically what I find is, is that um, about every 10 years as people, we tend to go through these sort of, I don't know, transitional moments in our lives. And I think it's this way for, for women and men alike. But about every 10 years, we stop and we evaluate, like, what's going on with my life? So we, you know, we hit like high school and we're looking ahead to college and we're like, okay, what's next? And you're, you're working through that identity crisis of like, who am I, what will I do, right? What college will I go to? We, we get out of college, hit our, hit the career world. Some people start having kids. You hit your late twenties and you begin asking the question of like, what, what is this life that I'm going to build for me and my family or me and my career, what's next? What's next? And, and I, I talk to people that hit their 30s, and somewhere in your 30s, you begin to reevaluate, okay, I've lived this life by all these rules that have been handed to me, and now suddenly I've got this crisis of, like, what rules am I going to live with for the rest of my life? And we hit our 40s, you know, mid to late 40s, and we hit this sort of midway point where we start asking ourselves, like, Holy cow, I'm halfway through this race. What is, what's life going to be like from, from here on out? What's my legacy? And see, at all these junctures, you're not alone when you have these moments where you're like, what is next? What's next, Lord? I, I have one guy in particular, a really uh, a close friend of mine, a uh, talented young guy. He, he actually played football at the University of Missouri, had a promising football career, ended up blowing out his knee, and then uh, ended up going on kind of this coaching track. He was a personal trainer. Uh, he, he and another guy launched like a clothing brand that made him some money. Uh, he was an investor and uh, entrepreneur in, in several like gym endeavors around the city. Um, got married, had kids in his early 30s, and all of a sudden he's sitting in my office, we're talking, and here's what he said to me. He was like, my whole life, I've just powered through what was in front of me. And when one door closed, I would just go on to the next. And it was like, okay, thank you, what's next? What's next? What's next? And he said, my whole life I've been going from one thing to the next to the next, just following the next open door, and suddenly... I'm in this place in my life where I don't know what's next. 
I feel trapped. I feel insecure. What am I going to do? What is next? And, and this is a, a question I've heard over and over and over again from people. What will I do? And what I love to do is just judo flip it on them and say, okay, look, this is the question you're answering. But the question that God is asking is who will you be? Very different question. Who will you be? When all is said and done at the end of this life, when we, when we end this physical life and go on to our eternal existence with God, who will we be? Because that's the character we, we carry into eternity. And this life is actually working out an, inter, an eternal identity that we'll, that we'll live with forever. <laughs> who will you be? Now, one, one of my favorite stories from Scripture that really expresses this is the story of Joseph. Now, I remember hearing the story of Joseph for the first time in Sunday school class, like, you know, Joseph in uh, the uh, coat, right? The coat of many colors. You hear the story, Joseph in the technicolored, I think, there you go. Some kind of musical or something they made up. But, you know, I remember, you know, the coloring sheet in Sunday school, coloring the beautiful colors on, on Joseph's coat. But the story of Joseph is so intriguing because what we see is this life of a roller coaster of a life. When we look at like the, all the things that happen with Joseph, you're like, is this like even true? It's like the stuff of legend. And, and it's this roller coaster of ups and downs. And so what I want to do is spend a couple minutes with you and walk through Joseph's life and look at the thread of truth that is woven all throughout Joseph's life. So if you, if you would, you want to turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 37. This is where it all begins with Joseph. And I think it'll be up on the screen too if you want to follow him there. Genesis 37, beginning in verse 3. Now here's what it says. It says, Jacob, this is Joseph's father, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph was, had been born to him in old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, but his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So this is like sets up the whole story here. Like, so you have to, you know, kind of travel back and put yourself in this, this ancient Near East tribal culture where it's this patriarchal system of tribes where Jacob is the, is the patriarch of the tribe and the family and the value and the wealth of his family is really measured by the number of goats or sheep that they have. The, the amount of food that they have, and the number of sons that they had. Because you see, it's, it's not that women weren't important, but uh, in that time, in that culture, like wealth and power was really determined by the number of sons that you had. Because sons carried on the name, they carry on the lineage, they, carry, they did like the hard work and labor around the, the tribe or whatever. So even though the, the scripture mentions sons, like there were daughters in the mix too. So Jacob had lots of kids, let's say. And of all his kids, Jacob made like uh, mistake, parenting mistake number one, which was he chose a favorite. So maybe you have kids, it's like, all right, what's wrong with you? You don't, you don't choose a favorite and you don't like make a spectacle of it in front of the rest of the family. That's a, that's a bad move. That's bad form. But that's what Jacob did. For, for some reason, 
like, I guess he, he was like late in life. He thought it was over for him when it come, came to kids, but like God snuck one more in there, right? The surprise. And, and it thrilled Jacob to the point where he said, oh, this is like this gift to me and I'm, I'm pleased, I'm happy. And so he has this coat made for Joseph. Now, the thing you got to remember about this, this culture, it's not like he sent the, the, his wife down to Joanne Fabrics to buy some cloth for this coat. Like, this is like old school, the sheep, they're shearing the sheep, they're making thread, they're dyeing the thread, they're hand weaving this beautiful, intricate coat. And so this was a sign of not only love, an expression of love, but it was also expensive. It made this bold statement to everyone else in the family that this is my favorite. And his brothers hated him for it. And, and not to mention, not only did Joseph walk around wearing this coat, right? But also, if you, if you look into the story, he has these dreams that God, God gives him of how he is greater than his brothers and how his brothers should bow down to him. And so, needless to say, there was tension in the family. They hated him. And if you jump forward to uh, Genesis 37 and verse 26, we see where um, his brothers plot to kill him even. They want to take him out. They're so jealous, so envious. But through a, a turn of events, they end up not murdering him, but they sell him into slavery, okay? And this is like slavery, like when I say slavery, and you're like, oh, that's terrible. You know, you think of modern, like, like, you know, slavery in the U.S., and it's like that's the kind of slavery that we're talking about here. Like people being seen as property, and so this, there's this marauding like troop of, of slave traders, and his brothers sell him as property to these slave traders, like degrading. He goes from being the favored son to being property of just some roaming uh, troop of slave traders. Talk about a roller coaster. If, if we fast forward into chapter 39, we see Joseph then gets sold off Again, as if he's nothing more than a resource, nothing more than property, he gets sold off to the house of Potiphar. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh. So like, you know, King Tut, head God leader of, the, of Egypt, right? So uh, Pharaoh has his personal guard that protect him, and Potiphar is the captain of the guard. And Joseph gets sold off into to Potiphar's house. And in, ver, in chapter 39, verse 2, we see that uh, this is an interesting verse. We see what God begins to do in Joseph's life, even in the midst of servanthood and slavery. It says this, the Lord was with Joseph. So I want you to make a note, mental note of that. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. So what's noted first is that the Lord was with Joseph. It wasn't necessarily about his success and his performance. The Lord was with him. And so suddenly Joseph begins to see this glimmer of light and glimmer of hope and success in his life. But just a couple of verses later... We see it all begin to unravel again for Joseph as Potiphar's wife keeps coming on to Joseph. 
keeps trying to convince him to sleep with her. And Joseph resists. And the, the, the whole like tension and drama of this uh, culminates as Joseph runs away and flees from her. And she, in one final like uh, act of, of aggression towards Joseph, she accuses of him of trying to sexually assault her. Joseph gets thrown in prison. So from being successful, like servant of the house, suddenly he is thrown into prison as a sexual deviant. And once again, Joseph finds himself at the mercy of the circumstance that he's in. But just to fast forward through the story in prison, Joseph begins to, God begins to speak to him through these dreams again. And then these dreams and then interpretation of dreams, he helps some other people in prison. And then along comes Pharaoh again. He enters the mix. Pharaoh has these vivid dreams that he just can't shake. He has these two specifically vivid dreams that in his mind, it's like these mean something. I can't figure out what it is. So he calls all his, the mystics and priests of his court and say, tell me what these dreams mean. Nobody can tell him what, what they mean. But then one guy's like, oh, I know someone. I know this guy, Joseph. He interprets dreams. And so they invite Joseph in. Joseph interprets the dreams. And uh, Pharaoh is pleased and happy. And, and the, the, the gist of these dreams is that he tells Pharaoh, look, the, the, the nation is going to enter these seven years of famine, so you better start getting ready for it. And if we flip forward into um, chapter 41, this is what uh, Pharaoh says of Joseph. He says this, it says this, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Joseph asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Okay, note that. Filled with the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of my dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from only you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. So you're like, what the what? <laughs> like you're in prison and then suddenly you're promoted to governor of the nation, second only to Pharaoh. So, you know, I feel like I've had some ups and downs in life, <laughs> but nothing like this, right? Nothing like what, what Joseph is experiencing. Suddenly he finds himself in charge of the whole business. Pharaoh's like, you be in charge of the legit logistics of, of like saving up food so that we can survive the seven year famine. And then this is where it all gets really good because then this whole story comes full circle. Famine sets in. They're two years into the famine. And back home, Joseph and his dad and his brothers are two years into no food, no supplies. And so Jacob in this last ditch effort to, 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 uh, to uh, preserve his family, sends the boys to Egypt to try to go barter and buy some food to get them through this famine that they're in. Joseph catches wind of it and knows it's his brothers. And through this kind of interesting story, he calls them in. He sort of plays some, some head games with them. But in, at the end of the day, Joseph reveals himself to his brothers and I, I love this. I want to read this, this excerpt from Scripture because it's so good. And this is Genesis 45. 
in verse 3. This is Joseph confronting his brothers who sold him, in, who wanted to murder him, <laughs> sold him into slavery, and now are coming to beg for his help. He says this, I am Joseph. Isn't that a cool way to start this out? I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me. He made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of this entire palace and the governor of of all Egypt. In the midst of all this craziness, he stands in front of his brothers and says, I am Joseph. This declaration of identity laced and and formed through all of these ups and downs and these circumstances, but through, through it all, it was his proximity to God, not his performance that made the difference that allowed him to stand with confidence in front of these brothers who had mistreated him and said, I am Joseph. I mean, imagine if Joseph would have asked God at the beginning, like, God, what's next for me? What will I do? What am I going to do with my life? And God said, okay, well, how about if you get hated by your brothers, get sold into slavery, uh, maybe we'll have you falsely accused of a sex crime, and thrown into prison. How does that sound? What do you think Joseph would have said? He'd be like, no way. (laughs) I'm not signing up for that. But God knew, right? God knew. In Joseph's life, he was working out the eternal identity that God had in store for him. Now, All of us ask the question, what's next, God? What's next? We get so hung up on, what will I do? I can't tell you how many times I've lost sleep asking that question, God, what am I going to do? But what a better question that God's asking us is, who will you become? Do you trust me? Do you think this circumstance that you're in is really going to define your character? Who will you be? And it's not about our performance. It's about our proximity. Just like Joseph, God was near to him. The Spirit of God filled his life. And that wasn't like just some sort of like passive role that Joseph played in this whole story. It wasn't like that God just so happened to choose Joseph and and picked him and was near to him. Somehow through those difficult circumstances, Joseph clung to the Lord. He clung to the Lord and the spirit of God was on him and in him and filled him. And that carried him through all of the difficult circumstance of his life. I want to show you 
a quick video. This is a good friend of mine. His name is Chase Brown. He is the uh, director of facilities uh, at, at Vineyard North. And uh, if you've ever been around Chase, it's like you can't help but be excited when you're around the guy. So um, like he says in the video, like his perspective on what he does has very little to do with his performance and everything to do with his proximity to the Lord in the process. So let's watch this. And everything that you do, work at it for the Lord, not unto man. So I use that idea, that philosophy here at Vineyard Church and instill that in the group and my team that works with me here that everything that we're going to do, we're going to do it under the Lord. Whether it is cleaning a toilet or mopping from the corner to the corner of the room or cleaning out spider webs or vacuuming up flies or mowing grass, whatever it is, weed whacking, we're hot, we're sweaty, we're doing it under the Lord. We're not doing it for Chase, we're doing it under the Lord. And that takes out all the arguing, all of the reason to complain about, oh, I don't like to do this job, because guess what? We're doing it for the Lord, because it's His house, and that's why we're doing it. Well, I started um, understanding that probably when I came back to the Lord, and I realized that I had talents, abilities, and skills that have been dropped into me by God that I used in construction and I used in building for many years. One of the things that differentiates, I think, doing it unto the Lord and doing it just for myself um, is maybe fatigue. And I'm not saying that I can't get tired, but yes, I can get tired. But it's a difference inside of why I'm doing this. Last Thursday, we had the Thanksgiving turkey dinner giveaway. I was out there directing traffic and I was just saying, Lord, just please bring these people back. Bring them to church. We had 700 and some people coming that night. And just bring them back to church. Let them hear what you need to say to their heart, how you can change their lives. And not just a turkey dinner, but that you can actually transform these people's lives and make them something great for the kingdom of God. Doing your work under the Lord is not just about getting paid for it. It is also about volunteering. It's about getting your family up at 5.30 in the morning or it's four o'clock in the morning so that you can be here at six o'clock for harvesters, when it's cold, when it's raining, when it's dark, to be able to give of your time, to be able to help with uh, things that are after hours, to be able to give of yourself, give, give yourself. You know, it's another form of an offering. You know, giving yourself a holy sacrifice and offering back unto the Lord. I love, I love that. Did you see the why in his story? 
Like, I, I know what he does, um, but do you know why he does it? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Unto the Lord, unto the Lord. So let me just kind of close with this. Like, where do you find yourself? What's your story? What's the story, God's? We, you know, I, we could probably sit around for hours and hours and share stories, work stories for sure. Like the craziness that you've seen in your life, the people that you've worked with, the challenges you've had, the difficulties you've had, the victories you've had, the successes that you've had. And what part of those really define you? Is it your performance that's defined you, that gives you value? Or is it this identity that God's building in you? When was the last time you lost sleep because you were worried about your job? Or maybe you were looking for a job now, I don't know. And you're asking the Lord, God, what will I do? What will I do? What will I do? But God is asking, who will you be? My beloved, I'm near to you. I'm with you. And it's in that proximity to God that he begins to form this identity, this character that, that performance can't take away. You can't win enough employees of the month to please God, right? But he is pleased with you because you are his beloved child. And like, think, think of this from a parenting perspective. Those of you that have kids, you remember when you used to be so worried about the next milestone that your child was going to reach, right? If, oh, if we could just get to this point, if we could just get to that thing, what's next? Oh, if we just get him off to school, right? If we just get him tying his own shoes. <laughs> we just get him through middle school. Just get him through high school on to what's next. And then in the blink of an eye, it's a decade later, and you're like, what in the world just happened? It's next, next, next. But it's in the process that God's building identity and story that defines your family. Who will you be? And I know this is like the week of vocation, right? Jobs, but... I think what the Lord is telling us through the story of Joseph is that it's not about performance. What you do is just the vehicle that is taking you to where you're going and who you'll be in the end. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com.